Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning again in to what we have. And again, we're here for you. Again, the program is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. And we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award by Progress and Lending. Thank you. I'm very grateful for that. We've got Les Parker back with us again. Did I mention that it's June 22nd? I'm not sure that I did. I'm punching buttons. I'm in a different office. I'm downtown Austin in an office building doing this broadcast. Uh, so if it sounds a little bit different, uh, maybe somebody say it sounds better. But anyway, I just did a Fox broadcast. I was just on with Cavuto talking about the latest existing home sales numbers came in real strong. We're going to talk to, we're going to get that update from uh, Joe Farr, who's here with me, and uh, looking forward to covering all of it. But just want to say a big thank you. But Les Parker is back by demand. Uh, we got so much information the last time, but we didn't get through it all. So he was here on June 8th, and so we're going to continue the discussion. We're going to start off by talking about what's going on in Greece, and we're going to talk about what's a little bit expand that into what's happening with Europe, see if there's any adjustments to that. But really the bulk of what we're going to be talking about is really Asia, the impact that this could have on our markets. So glad to have you tuning in with us. Again, it's Monday, June 22nd, and we're just thrilled to also have our sponsor. Special thank you goes out to United Guarantee, which we're always so proud to have them as our sponsor, especially with them being the industry leader for the fourth consecutive year in a row. In October of this last year, United Guarantee introduced the Secure Cert, a suite of five options that allows lenders to choose the maximum recession uh, relief available and uh, and it allows you not only to do that at no cost. And so there's uh, several CERT options, but the, uh, the secure CERT options that fit your business include a 12- or 36-month uh, rescission relief. Then also, man, I'm having like trouble getting that out of my mouth today. Then also there's a full file or delegated submissions or a one-day one day protection. So some real strong uh, aspects about the secure cert uh, program that United Guarantee has. I encourage you to go check it out. Go to www.ugcorp.com or call the local UG representative. Some of the greatest people, knowledgeable people. And I mean, you know, I tell you, the, the, the knowledge that exists within the rep, their reps. You know, you can hire a consultant like me, or you can call your MI rep and specifically call your United Guarantee. MI rep and get some uh, some advice. They they're really on top of what's going on in the markets, and that's why they're advertising here with us. We're proud to have them. Also, a big thank you to Velma. Stands for the Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They do a great job of getting the announcement out each week about the bro- broadcast. And we're thrilled to have them as a partner. They do a great job. If you're looking for a good partner to get your message out to all of your customers, I tell you, consider Velma. They're the best way to go. Velma v e l m a dot com. Also, a special thank you to our regulars who are participate and contribute so much to this broadcast. I'm talking about Alice and Joe and Andy and and Sam and uh, I mean uh, and and we have also, of course, our good friend uh, Paul Mallow. Now, Paul's on vacation. Alice is on vacation. Uh, Andy got called into a conference, so it's really Joe and I. Joe and I are going to hold down the fort. So we wish Alice a wonderful vacation along with Paul. We also, uh, Andy, hope you have a good conference call. So hopefully, he's playing us in the background. Anyway. That's it for all the sponsors. Thank you all for your participation, and most of all for you, the listener, for tuning in. Let's get into what's going on with the markets. Joe Farr, good to have you here Hi, with us. Thank you. Yep, uh, yeah. prices are down this morning, Dave. It, it's uh, most mostly in reaction to uh, a, a deal being more likely uh, between Greece and the and the eurozone, and uh, the. Uh, report is that there that Greece has made some pretty significant concessions and and uh, uh, I saw something and we'll get into the more with less about this but uh, they've actually uh, proposed a new tax on business a new tax on the wealthy and apparently uh, some added uh, some increase in certain uh, value-added taxes and so uh, 
the the market is reacting as though uh, there is less concern uh, about a Greece uh, default, and as you might guess, that's been negative for MBS prices, but good for the stock yep. market. So uh, that's going on this morning, uh, along with, as you mentioned, existing home sales came out this morning, and uh, they were really good, uh, up 5.1% really yeah. over April, and, and that's to the highest level in about five years at uh, 5.35 million units on an annualized basis. And uh, that did exceed expectations, and, and that too could have contributed some to the drop in prices, but most of the drop had occurred prior to that uh, report coming out. The interesting thing, and you probably know more about this than I do, but uh, the uh, there was a the pace of, of of turnover was like 40 days. Did you yes. see that? And, and yes, 40 days would represent one of the three or four fastest uh, uh, paces of turnover and in, or uh, days on days on the markets, really, the better days way to say market, it. Days on market, yeah. Uh, in a long, long time and maybe forever. Yeah. So it was really, really phenomenal. So uh, that's today. And, and last Can week, I jump in on then, a couple of notes on that? That yeah. when I did the, I was on with Cavuto here just less than an hour ago, or just about an hour ago. And what was also interesting about those numbers, uh, there was a two percent increase in first-time home buyers. Yeah, so it's up from the previous month of thirty down to thirty-two percent, and it, the norm is forty percent. And that's what I thought was also an interesting statistic and uh so th- when you look at these these there's so much data that's coming out but inventories as you say in your notes is really plaguing is really plaguing the issue so the big question is was be and, and the the angle that neil took on the opening part of the broadcast was because interest rates are rising it took everyone off the fence and so and i agree with that and the question is yeah. will this cause is this really going to be the high water mark for the year when you start looking at how long it takes for loans to go through the system, are the sales that happen in May, are we, we could see a fairly strong month in June, possibly. But then is this really it? Interest rates are going up. The Fed governors, and you're going to talk about that here in a minute. So I started heading over to last week. So back to you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and I would add, uh, I think inventories are going to grow. You've seen and part of what I'll report about uh, uh, this week is uh, is a home builder. Index. Yes. Uh, so the home builders are very positive, and and as yes. uh, they put more inventory on the ground, I think there's still room to to improve. Yeah. The the existing home sales inventory is one issue, but the builders get to create their own inventory, and the fact that this is going to probably encourage some builders to get out there and get some concrete down and some sticks up. So be yeah. interesting. Okay, so last week, uh, uh, as I mentioned today, we had a bit of a reversal of uh, a small flight to safety that had occurred because of Greece uh, during last week. And and so last week was a good week. We improved 22, 30 seconds during the week. Uh, Headlines from Greece were causing a lot of volatility and and, uh, the net, but there was a net improvement uh, uh, during the week. The Fed meeting also occurred last week. Uh, The statement and Fed chair woman uh, Yellen's press conference yeah, yeah. really mm-hmm. revealed no change in policy. Uh, uh, MBS prices, it was a very volatile day. Uh, MBS prices fell 12, 30 seconds leading up to the release of the statement, and then soon thereafter it went right back up 12, 30 seconds to where there's very little net change on the day. Yes. The statement acknowledged the improvement in the economy, but reiterated that their decision going forward is going to be data-dependent. So really no surprises there. Uh, One small surprise was in the uh, survey of the the Fed members uh, as to when they thought, where they thought rates would be at the end of the year. And and most of them, 15 out of the 17, expected rates to have been hiked since uh, uh, from here before the end of the year. And some of them... Expected it to be ten out of the fifteen. Expected the the hike to have taken place twice, and so that led the markets kind of view September as a likely first hike date. Mm, okay, uh, but that's still up in the air. It's all it's all you know. Interpret the data and, and what yep. happens in Greece. You know, the economic data that came out last week was really mixed. Uh, we, as I mentioned, we had strong builder sentiment. Uh, we had 
building permits that were up nicely, but housing stores were down. There was a big drop in jobless claims. We saw a pretty strong Philly Fed, but we saw a weak Empire State Index. So, you know, the mixed data had uh, had less effect on the market last week than the headlines uh, uh, surrounding Greece. And so this week, I think, is going to be more of the same. You know, as we've seen today, uh, Greece and, and what might happen there is a driving force. And I know Les is going to provide probably much better analysis on this, but... Uh, you know, we're still going to see that there's a scheduled meeting on Thursday where the finance ministers are going to get back with the Greek officials to after they've had a chance to review the the new proposals. There's a meeting this evening that includes the the heads of uh, the various eurozone countries that are going to be meeting on this subject. And uh, June 30th looms out there is the day by which they need to have gotten something done. So, uh, uh, a lot to to consider regarding Greece this week, and, and we'll see if things uh, get resolved. Uh, also this week, economic data is going to come out, uh, not a lot, but new home sales comes out tomorrow along with durable orders. Uh, the final revision, I can't say final, but the third revision, the first quarter GDP comes out on Wednesday. It shouldn't be a big deal. It is expecting to show an improvement from the last estimate, which was down seven-tenths. They're showing their, the expectations are now for it to have dropped uh, or fallen only two-tenths, so it'll be down two-tenths instead of down seven-tenths. Uh, core PCE comes out along with personal income on Thursday and consumer sentiment on Friday. Treasury auctions Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So, uh, again, uh, you know, Headlines in and out of Greece and in and out of deals and uh, could create some more volatility this week. Could be, well, yeah, and you got to have a service like MBS Quoteline to be able to um, know how to navigate that and when, how to advise your customers, your clients, or your borrowers that you're, should we float, should we lock? Man, you got to have the service. How do they do this without that? How did we do this before we had <laughs> you know, MBS Quoteline? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. For those of you that want to get signed up, listen to this ad. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline. Delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. We're again, it's June 22nd. We're excited to have you here and all the stuff that's going on, but now we are in vacation season as evidenced who isn't on this broadcast? Paul Mala would be normally who we'd be going to in this broadcast and getting all the latest uh, updates on what's happening in the news. I encourage you to check out his website, www.imfnews.com, and he's got the latest stories. They do a great job of really staying on top of things, and I want to tell you, they stay on top of them. So it's a great news source, and uh, I, I just love Paul's reporting and the way he writes. It's just really good. Alice Alvey is in Alaska right now. So if you close your eyes, just imagine her, uh, you know, wearing waders and out there fly fishing or doing some fishing for salmon with her husband. Her husband is crazy about fishing. She says she sits many a time in Michigan with her laptop on in the boat while her husband's fishing because they just enjoy being together. And that's an aw. Isn't that cool? Anyway, so she's out there. And if you've never been to Alaska, folks, I tell you, we've got family, my wife's family's from that area, and Sitka. And it is just spectacular. And uh, so wish Alice a wonderful time up there. So let's get into Sam Garcia. By the way, Andy Shell will not be with us, so we're going to have lots of time to get in with Les Parker. But let's talk to Sam Garcia to get a little bit of information as to what is happening. Uh, and I just love the data that you collect, Sam. I mean, I keep I read the articles, and, and, and you and Paul seem to balance on the type of things that you're covering. But the, the data that you're collecting that you make available to those that subscribe to your service. Good stuff. Well, anyway, good to have you with us. What you got? Great to be here, and uh, what we've got is we put out a market share report this this week, or today actually, and uh, what we found was that uh, 
the data we collected both from the FDIC, from a company called Callahan and Associates, and from the Conference of State Bank Supervisors indicates that total originations during the first quarter of this year were or $345 billion. Um, mm. Now, what we, what's most, most important about this report is that we saw that bank market share fell from the fourth quarter when it was 39% or when it was 40% to 39% in the first quarter of this year. So banks lost market share in the first quarter. And it also the same thing at uh, credit unions. They fell to 9% yeah. from 11%. But, of course, that means someone picked it up, and that would be non-bank uh, originators. The market share for that group is 52% versus 50% in the last quarter of last year. So more shifting over to non-bank lenders uh, as we're moving along here. Um, some other data we got was uh, registrations for the NMLS. Now, they put this report out each quarter, so we have the first quarter report. And we tallied up uh, 512,000 mortgage loan originators are registered in NML NMLS uh, for the first quarter. And that wow. that included what's that number uh, again? What did you say? Five hundred and twelve thousand. That's wow. how many people are registered. And and you know a lot of people ask me, well, how could that be? We barely have that many people in the industry. So, you know, what I've come to learn is that you know you've of course got some lenders who uh, are a little bit more. Uh, conservative and they they maybe have some of their employees that aren't necessarily originators uh, licensed on there because of some of the activity so right. uh, that's one thing another thing is I, I know when I called my uh, state farm agent one day and uh, the assistant there asked me if I wanted to get uh, a mortgage and uh, she's licensed now this is a, an insurance employee um, so you're looking at there's a lot of companies possibly out there, yeah. like insurance companies and finance, financial services that might do some origination just as a side note, but they're not in the mortgage business. So uh, that's where some of those numbers come from. Um, the number that I came up with was uh, 118,900 state-licensed originators. Those would be originators who don't work at banks. And then another 396,000 originators who do work at financial institutions. Uh, that would be credit unions, banks, the uh, and so forth. Um, and then, uh, you know, we had a, a couple of thousand that actually, 3,300 of them that actually have both. So they're maybe both uh, working for a bank, but also have a state license. Okay. Um, Interesting. Another, That's good statistics. Yeah. That's really good statistics. Excellent stuff. Yeah, and it gives us a basis for uh, a lot of other information that we use because it gives us uh, some market share data that really helps us come up with these uh, these numbers. But um, last week there was a decision in a lawsuit. Uh, this lawsuit was filed in U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia by Deutsche Bank as a uh, trustee for RMBS against FDIC and Chase. And it involved uh, repurchases that they were trying to get uh, from Chase and the FDIC on loans that are origi what were originated by Washington Mutual, which, of course, Chase acquired at the height of the financial crisis. And the judge noted in her decision that the, uh, it will likely impact other similar types of lawsuits. And she wrote, ultimately, the court finds that J.P. Morgan did not assume WAMU's unbooked mortgage repurchase liability. So it was a good decision for Chase. Um, Stonegate Mortgage uh, put out an uh, announcement last week that uh, they have a new portal. Um, it's called TPO Source, uh, or TPO Connect, I'm sorry. And uh, the service lets investors cherry pick uh, loans by the origination source. So I thought mm -hmm. that was kind of an interesting uh, announcement. Uh, and it, you know, to to put it at such a, a low level to be able to get that kind of data and be able to make that kind of decision as an investor. Um, one other thing was that uh, HUD announced defect taxonomy, and uh, the intention of yes. that particular uh, deal is to provide transparency for mortgages and increase FHA lending. So you know, we got some good feedback. It looked like from some industry sources. We'll see if that actually works out to to prompt some of the mortgagees out there to actually make more FHA loans. But uh, that, that pretty much is a summary of some of the big highlights we've had big, over this last good week. Good stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling through all the stories you have. You have got some great stuff. I'm really interested about that one of the, the registered LOs and then uh, how that breaks out, 118,900 state-licensed LOs, which implies that they work for the independent mortgage bankers, and then bank was 300,000. 300, uh, Three, almost like 400,000. Almost 400,000. 398, was that what it was? 
396, yeah. 396. I was writing it down. I couldn't write it down fast enough. So um, getting old, my fingers aren't working. And then <laughs> so that means good, good stuff. I mean, just give, it does give us some insights into where the market's at and where you know where Joe should be focusing all his efforts, marketing efforts, where he should be going looking for some more people. Of course, everyone should have that service. But Sam, everyone should have your service too. I recommend it. And, and actually, we uh, we take advantage of Joe's service ourselves. He's uh, kind enough to provide us weekly commentary for our uh, news story oh, about good. rates. Yeah, that's good. Joe does a great job with those. I love reading them, and, and uh, I'm glad to hear you're featuring those. It's so good to have you with us, Sam. Have yourself a great rest of the day. And I uh, look forward to um, you know, having you back next week. And keep up the good work. You're doing a great job, friend. Thank you, sir. You, you are, bet. too. Well, Andy, well, thank you. It's fun doing this. We enjoy it. Not only is it fun, it's helpful, and uh, we get a lot of good feedback. But anyway, all right, let's get into, uh, well, I want to get into the Hot Topics segment. We're going to do that in just a minute. Andy Shelg sends his greetings to you, and uh, but he had to jump onto a conference call with a client. Um, and so, anyway, greetings from the Prophet Doctor. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. It's good to have you with us, everybody. And if you want to be sending in some questions for Les Parker, kind of stump the Parker, if you can, with some questions about the economy, text me at 512-632-2900. I'll get your questions, and I will uh, put them up for uh, – we'll, we'll put them out there for Les Parker a little bit later in the broadcast Good to have you with us, everybody. Again, we appreciate you being a part of the listening audience, and a way uh, this is a way for you to get your information what's happening in the industry. So, without further further ado, let's get Les Parker turning on his mic here. And uh, good to have you with us again, Les. Uh, appreciate you. I want to make sure you can hear us fine. Everything good? I'm hearing fine, but I'm supposed to have an intro song. Do you have my intro song? Oh, you know what? And see what I went. We Father's Day messed me up. I messed up with your intro song, so we can sing a few bars of the good, the bad, and ugly. Oh, so I I, no, no, not that one. I I've got a new one for you. I just sent it for you. So this is. Oh, you. By the way, uh, Dave Lick, and there's a there's a new technology out there. It's called email. Okay. And <laughs> if you send something to someone, it almost instantaneously is in your inbox. It's, it, it actually but, gets here, so I'm, I'll go check. My well, here's the deal. I usually have three big screens when I do this broadcast from home, and I have them up, and I can have all this stuff up here. Right now, I've got enough real estate room on my screen, my computer screen, to see the, the broadcast. I think it's probably more important <laughs> I see the broadcast than all the emails. Well, why don't I, I tell your listening audience that, actually, I don't want you to thinking you didn't, you messed up. I'm the guy that messed stuff i was supposed to put it there in your hands sooner and uh, i i finally found it and it was interesting i as you're kind of queuing that up to for second 13 through second 25 um i uh this particular song i you may remember that i use uh pop songs primarily uh, yes. as my subject line and i do uh parodies on those different subject lines and we a, a little while back, I did one on a song sung by Doris Day back in the 50s, if I remember correctly. It may have been 60s. And uh, actually got one of our uh, subscribers sent back that he actually ended up using that as one of his DJ songs because he does DJing on the side. He's a secondary mark, uh, risk manager but does DJing on the side. And I thought that was kind of cool. So 
subject well, line. Well, let's see if we can pull this off. Now, this means I'm putting – normally I would have brought it in, digitized it, and got it right and uploaded it. But let's see if this works so we can get it to work here. Let's see if we sure. get the music playing. It's just a few seconds for your audience to hear something. Well, it for some reason, I am not getting it to play through my computer speakers. That's probably because I got the, the radio broadcast going. So you're going to have to hum a, So anyway, it's Doris – uh, days. Why yeah. did I tell you I was going to? What was it? What the from uh, Shanghai? Yeah. Shanghai. Yes, nineteen fifty-one. Yes. Well, I could hum two so bars, can, but I'm not going to. I, I don't do a door day YouTube. imitation. And it actually has a nice. Uh, people seem to like it. Has a good upbeat sound to it. So why don't we talk a little about China? Uh, the bad news is I'm old enough to remember Doris Day and loved listening to Doris Day. She had a great, she had a great voice. Anyway, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about Greece and then China and all the things. So there is the hot, hot topic today is Greece. Let's start off yes. and yes. get your update there. Well, that uh, I mean, what is there really to say? Um, if you really look, listen to what's happening, okay, we see today that interest rates are up, right? I mean, right. Joe just gave us his, like usual, great report in such a relaxed fashion. I don't think I could ever be as relaxed as Joe is. <laughs> but uh, it's amazing. So can, all that information, such a calm, cool, I mean, he must have been cool hand Luke, or, you know, in a former yeah. life. But when we look at um, Greece, you have to ask yourself, well, why are interest rates going up with a deal coming through for Greece? I mean, should they be going up? Should they be going down? And, and the market, for the most part, has been operating on the viewpoint that if, if it doesn't happen, if there is not a deal, then there's going to be greater uncertainty. And that's really why interest rates have been going down as they thought right. Greece might actually exit the euro. So if Greece would exit the euro, then interest rates were going down. And then if they don't exit the euro, oh, we know this world, we can live with this world, it's certain world, so therefore the flight to liquidity or flight to quality, whichever way you want to put it, um, is why we're today, we're unwinding. Yeah. What's okay, really so interesting, it has you know, it has a, a, a footprint the size of Alabama and an economy equal to that of Rhode Island. And yet people say, well, why are we stressing and why are we letting this little country with such a minuscule, in the big scheme of things, minuscule GDP have, have the impact? It's because of what happens here, Les, and this is the part that I want to get your commentary on. It's because what happened here is because right behind this, we have Greece, Spain. We have some other Euro countries that aren't that far away, so I'm sure the, the countries like Spain are just glad that Greece is gathering, garnering all the attention on it. But it's really what is going to happen to the European community, the European Union, and how the policy is that handles this, I imagine, is going to give us much greater insights and predict what could happen if we find ourselves with Spain, a country like Spain in there. Is, is this accurate? I, yes, I, I think that is currently the thinking, and that is if there is a a default by Greece that eventually leads to them having to leave, though it wouldn't be overnight, it would be over a few-year period. Phased out, yeah. yeah. It'd be phased. However, they're defaulting. And so what the world's really looking at is that, oh, if they default, then we'll – and they can go back out on their own – will – Portugal and Spain and maybe even even France, though France is pretty committed to Merkel, um, and uh, Holland is committed to Merkel. And then we also see that even Italy is really seems to be pretty committed, uh, even though some have said they're in a very weak position too. Do these do these countries say, hey, maybe we should get some of our debt forgiven in some form or fashion? That's where the uncertainty comes in. And that's why we see rates going lower mm-hmm. like the quality if there's like the quality, yeah. uncertainty, but there's there's unwinding of that flight and going out on the risk curve if there's greater certainty. So they just say, oh, great, you guys are going to do a deal with Greece. We don't have to worry about that. takes it off the table. That's more or less the mentality. However, let's get... 
Yeah, I want to get less. I want to get. Excuse you. I want to get Joe in on that. If there are yeah. a couple of questions there, go ahead, Joe. I, I know I, I can feel it. Throw in. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I wanted to throw in one more thought, and that is Russia. And, yeah. And and I don't. It, it wasn't uh, coincidental that the the Greek Prime Minister met with Putin over the weekend, and and it's not uh, out of the realm of possible that that the bargaining power of Greece was improved by that and that may be impetus for you know the eurozone to to do to move more in the direction of Greece's demands although uh Greece is saying that they've they have up the ante they've they've provided more but uh there's some talk now about you know you don't want you don't want Greece becoming uh too friendly with with Russia they're going to need a sugar daddy and is it going to be the ECB or is it going to be Russia and yet, Russia is in a very precarious economic that they are. Uh, position yeah. right now. Uh, you know, what's the uh, ruble worth? What's the situation with their oil? They have contracts now with China, so then they're paying in the Chinese currency on those contracts. So they aren't just in the dollar, and yet they have obligations that are in the dollar. So if as I do expect over the next year or so, the dollar actually begins to rally again. Um, and it gets into 100 to 110, we're currently around 95 on the dollar index, then that will be, and and I do think that China's currency will weaken some, uh, that actually means Russia's even in a worse shape because a lot of its debt's in U.S. dollar. So it makes Russia, even though Greece tries to say, oh, we can align with them, I can assure Greece they will end up with a worse deal, not a better deal than being dealing with the Europeans. But having said that, Joe, what do you think about um, the fact that if they stay, if if Greece uh, does stay like it looks like it's going to, what does that really mean for the euro? In the long, I don't know. I don't know that anything's really different. I mean, this is a five-year. Uh, process to get nowhere and, and it, are these proposed taxes going to going to move us any closer to where there's not an ongoing issue with Greece uh, you know every now and then every every time the last deal comes to a head so that yeah my yeah, exact I don't see it as a, as a fix uh my exact sentiment i was uh reading i read a column and if if anyone enjoys george will it was kind of an interesting column However, he starts off his column with two sentences. And those two sentences is all you need to read. And what it was, it was leading to a quote. And all the rest of it was typical George Will, making sure that everyone knows that he really is the smartest guy in the room. Um, and he probably is in most situations. Um, he is most it, of the time, yeah. Wasn't, was not really... It's an okay article. It wasn't certainly one of his best. However, the opening was fantastic. Let me read this. This was from the Washington Post just over the weekend. It says, now come Greeks bearing the gifts of uh, confirmation that Margaret Thatcher was right about socialist governments. <laughs> they always run out of other people's money. Yeah. <laughs> So and, good. you know, if you think about that, that's really the situation here. So how does cutting a deal with Greece, cutting a deal with Greece and with, um, with um, uh, I'm sorry, cutting a deal with Greece and the EU, putting some type of deal that's, how does it really solve it long term? It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's what I was listening to over the weekend too. And uh, so George Will and his infinite ability to be—he uh, is smart. He is one one smart guy. Let's let's now let's take a look at the, before we head over to Asia because I want to spend the rest of the broadcast in Asia once we get there. But how does this how does this change any of the dynamics with the European community? I mean, you're right. The last thing we need is Russia and Putin to be in there. Uh, you know, co- Greece get cozy with them because that would make a great pl- base for if, if Russians, you know, put some fears, more of a, a more aggressive um, agenda than what we want to talk about in the open. But, I mean, there's a lot of people that have the concern, and Greece having such a strategic geographic position could create some, a lot of problems for, some, for the Europe. So, you know, 
put this in context with what we can anticipate as best. I know there's no crystal balls. I don't believe in those things. But you you think what we're going to see is a deal, and you think they're going to stay in. And yeah, I think today. What? I think today's uh, discussion is pretty clear that they're moving that direction. Uh, that Merkel and company has decided that that's uh, uh, Angela Merkel of uh, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Germany. Of Germany. So yep. yeah, and the Chancellor of Germany. She's they obviously they're moving towards a deal now. Now, what's interesting is who is the deal best for? And quite frankly, I don't even need to know the terms. I can tell you that any deal, any deal is better for Greece than for Europe. Any deal. doesn't matter what it is. Because Greece is currently a drag on the euro. So if Greece could just be... um, have to go its own way and be severed, I actually believe it would be stronger and, and strengthen. It would cause the euro to be stronger and would strengthen right. the EMU, the uh, Economic Monetary Union. Now, there are different views of thoughts on that, but that's generally my view, and it's because or where why some people think the opposite said no this wouldn't be good, is because there's about $200 billion, it's a little more than that, of debt that is overhanging over Greece that would impact the European banks, but it only has a couple billion that would impact Germany. So Germany's not as impacted by it, but there's a large number. And so you have to say, well, if they start defaulting, who gets de- who gets the money, who doesn't get the money? So you get into the typical receivership type of issues. Right. And that's where the uncertainty is and why people say, oh, well, let's go buy some gold, let's buy some Treasuries, treasuries. Uh, yeah. So that's that's what I that's what I was trying to go to is because where it's really going is it should be overall good for our markets. It should keep a flight to more of a pressure towards a flight to quality, should, which should at least mitigate some of the fears that the Feds are going to raise once or twice this year, and you know at least hopefully keep some downward pressure on that and not speculate too too far to the upside with rates. Is that reasonable? Uh, uh, yes, that's reasonable. Let, let me summarize it this way. The, uh, what is it they say? The Grexit, I think it's how they now are saying it when they combine Greece and exit into one word. The Grexit <laughs> is great for the EMU, but it's bad for Greece. And why is yeah. it really bad for Greece? It's because Greece now has to be on its own because yeah. Greece's financial needs will have to be met without funds from as as uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher said, from others. Yep. Now they have to do it from themselves or convincing commercial lenders to give them money. That's, yeah, that's not a that's, pretty picture. That's the simple. That's really simple. That's the issue. So yep. the EMU says, you know what, we've got to keep it intact. We've got to keep it intact yep. at, all, at all price. But, yes, it's now they're starting to realize, you know, it really doesn't have to be kept intact at all price. The Bundesbank, uh, the finance ministers in Germany, people are dialoguing about that. They realize it, it really isn't something that we can't survive from. We can't. We can survive Greece leaving the EMU. Now, yeah. having said that, is that the best for Europe? I would say yes. Is that the best for the United States? Uh, it, I think we're a little more neutral. If we stay mm-hmm. If if it stays as it appears it's going to be, that Greece does get this deal and it just kicks the can down the road, then it's calmer. And if it's it's calmer, then a lot of people say that's good for the United States. Then we'll just have a calmer environment. And I argue that if we get more calmness, this calmness is destroying us. That's my viewpoint. We actually need, ironically, we need volatility to come into the market to instill some health. What we're happening right now, it's almost like we are couch potatoes, or you can our economy yeah. is a couch potato. And it's just lying there, it's barely moving, we're under three percent growth. This I think moves us towards even slower growth. It's going to be slower growth in, in, in uh Europe. And why? Because you have good money that's the IMF money, the, uh, the the ECB making sure that they're financing certain lines to Greece. We have good money chasing bad. What's the bad money? The bad money is Greece can't pay any more 
They can't add any more debt. You're going to improve their problem with debt. That's how you're going to solve a a country that cannot pay what it has now. So they said, well, we'll we'll bring on austerity or in some form. So the retirement age supposedly now will just be immediately uh, lifted to higher levels in 2016 rather than be phased in. And there'll be other measures. And are those good things? Of course they're good things. But will they bring about growth? No. So we're going to have... We're going to have stillness, yes. and that stillness causes that causes growth. So here's what could happen: we could actually have the euro improving some, like it's getting right now. The dollar is kind of hanging here, or maybe getting a little weaker. And U.S. rates, once it kind of figures out that we're in the doldrums again, then we start getting our path to lower rates again. And when we get on that path again to lower rates, if the Fed says, oh, you know, we have a nice calm environment, volatility is lower, oh, it's not quite 3% growth, but what if we just go ahead and start tightening this just a little bit? I actually think that will be what will usher in some volatility problems in some of the uh, BRIC nations that, or, you know, emerging nations, and that's where we get this next round of lower rates. Otherwise, we just heard we from get one into of this funk, yeah. and we just get a little higher rates. You know, it just it's like it's oh. nothing. I want to get over to your to Asia in just a minute, but we had a question come in from one of our listeners that just texted me. Says, "Why do we need volatility? If you could just give, why why would volatility be a good thing for the mortgage industry or for the mortgage rates, or U.S. for that matter?" Well, you could ask uh, any investment banker, um, ask any trader, um, and you would say, but volatility I thought was a bad thing. Volatility is what kind of makes the world go around. Uh, obviously, extreme volatility is a problem, but if volatility, right. is within, and if volatility is within a certain range, it seems like, well, everyone's kind of doing it. But think of it this way. There's activity going on throughout the world all right. the time. But when you have slower and slower activity, then we move towards, in the chemical term, we move towards absolute zero. So think about where our activity is right now. Without activity or with lower activity, you have less friction. If there's less friction, there's less volatility. Think of volatility as more like friction. So if you have some volatility, then you're going to have, that means there's some activity going on. Uh, you, you, we look at housing markets, you'll have prices going up and down, not just one direction. Or, or it could go up and up and up. That would be actually increasing right. volatility. So until we get to a situation where there's an increase in economic activity, you'll just have this nothingness with volatility. Volatility continues kind of to shrink or just establish there at pretty low levels. Right. If you get increase in activity, economic activity, then you're going to have an increase in friction. And if you have an increase, for instance, one of the increases in friction would be wages go higher. And so if wages are going higher, you're going to create, I've been using the word of volatility, but that will create, as wage pressures start pushing one way, then there's going to be price pressures. And if there's price pressures, then you have more profit opportunities, but you also the labor force will be making more money. So if right. we get positive energy, investment, good and growth, then then we end up and, – and you don't get it unless there's some increase in volatility. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Joe, you want to jump in with a question here? Otherwise, I'm moving over to Asia. Jump across. No, let's move on. I'm anxious. All right. Your... All right, last uh, – We are so ready to hear about – China, Asia, and if you could kind of run through, China seems to be the one that's in the news the most. It seems to create the greatest amount of angst when you start talking about it. But that's not the only place where there is some some real interesting things developing. Let's cover those. Okay. Well, let's. It is interesting when we think of Asia. What really comes to our mind? I mean, we think of some of the powerhouses, don't we? We certainly think right. of Japan. And Japan, unfortunately, is on a very sad trip right now. Um, They have elected to try and spend their way to prosperity. And that 
and leverage and try to create some inflation. It created a little, created a little bit of growth, but it's basically not going anywhere. The yen has been in this devaluation mode for a while. It actually, it almost was collapsing and creating problems. It's stabilized a little bit now, but the long-term goals are another uh, 25 to 30% decline in the value of the yen. That's, that means that they aren't having good things happening in their economy. So most people are looking at Japan and saying, yes, they have some money because of the way they're somewhat limited in their space, uh, their land mass, and how they can actually build. So there's very little that can be done there. There's a lot of limitations. They also have other limitations on just the way they can consume. They can consume gadgets, but because they don't have as much real estate, they can't consume bigger bigger items, so there's not going to be anything really from the consumption side. And now they're competing for these uh, precious uh, materials that they need to import to their countries, just like uh, China is trying to do that, and that's why some people look at long-term that commodities will be going back up on the rise. But right now we're in a decline of commodities because there's a slower economy globally. Um, then we can also look at uh, Korea, who's done some fantastic things. So it's kind of like uh, when China was back in the 60s and 70s. We saw then the uh, Koreans come on strong in the 80s and 90s and still coming on strong. Uh, we look at Singapore. We look at uh, the Philippines. Uh, look at even in Vietnam. You see areas there where it's some really exciting things, much smaller co total contributions, but still some very exciting things. So the whole Asian rim is, is very vibrant and a lot of possibilities here. And then, of course, there's China. Uh, and China, what's interesting about China to me in the reading I've done of late is that if we go back a millennia, who really the economic power was, was China. So at 1,000 years ago, China was basically the center of the uh, economic universe, you could say. Um, and then it was started really drifting away from China. And I was looking at an interesting map that kind of does it by time and power and how it just drifted from, from the east to the west. And so it was moving north and towards uh, Europe, obviously, shifting some of right. the, that power away, then dramatically changed just before uh, World War I, where it was basically completely Eurocentric. So the center of, of the power had come to Sweden and to other parts of Europe. Then it moved even further west, being drugged, really brought over by us from World War One into World War Two. That's really when we became, began to become really the superpower, and then we became the superpower in the 50s and 60s. But we raced basically. Yes, the Cold War was going on, uh, so there was some pull by by Russia, uh, but that now is uh, since that peak, you might say, of our payday. It probably just the height of the Cold War and maybe just after the Cold War, it's been drifting back over to Europe and into Asia because Asia, that is the power, is trying, if you think of that as just a center point, so it, it could still be centered in Europe, but it was centered closer to the United States, and now it's pulling over to China. So you just think of that's the center of it all. So if we had great balance, we'd probably be someplace right in Moscow where we'd have pull from Asia, pull from the United States, and and having Europe pulling. Um, that's how you kind of view this center right. of gravity. Um, but there's a lot of people think the center of gravity will go all the way over to China by the uh, 2025 to 2040, just because In of a third of the population being there, India having yes. you know, a sixth of the population, so half of the world population there, very uh, much geared to technology, all types of things going on that could cause um, us to be in a decline, losing our global influence, and trying to do it. I'm not as pro-China as that. I think that it's not going to move as quickly that way. However, I certainly understand the argument. We need to pay attention to yeah. it. Well, I mean, uh, the, uh, there's something I did not understand was the petrodollar and how all gold is – I mean, all oil has really changed in 
petrodollars, and China is trying to undo that, and that's why they're massing massive amounts of gold, and so that they can make their currency more of a, you know, in the perception of the world, a stronger currency, and so that the world oil can be traded in something other than petrodollars, which is U.S. dollars. And so dollars and U.S. dollars are one and the same. So I think I mean it's just interesting to see there what they're doing to position themselves. But then you look at you know you you Google and you see the ghost towns of the ghost cities, not towns, cities of China. An amazing amount of money has been invested in infrastructure in cities that have lights and everything else. Google that sixty minutes thing. It's really interesting for those that haven't heard about it. Is they have whole cities built with nobody in them. I mean zero people in them. People tried to move in. They tried to do the commerce, but it just didn't happen. So it's really interesting. It's a dynamic. So, okay, let's talk about a bit about – I love the one quote about Japan, that they sell more adult diapers than they do baby diapers. It's also just a function of the demographics that, yes. um, that you, you're really seeing uh, a, a decline in the population, and that is also having a bit of a tipping point on them with their group. What is When you look at this, how does – bring this – Someone just wrote and says, okay, very interesting discussion. How does this all relate to mortgage rates? Bring me home to let have Les bring it back to mortgage rates. How does this all fit in to what we can see with interest rates, Les? Um, that's actually, you know, it's amazing how much the global stage does, in fact, how it's set, where, where the movement is, what the, who the players are, how the action is, how much it impacts U.S. rates. The other day when interest rates went lower, just, or just Friday, now, why did we yeah. go lower? Why why did we go lower? I believe it's it not as much on the Greek Greek situation. Oh, really? But it was because of Shanghai. Shanghai dropped at six point four percent, something like that. And and Shanghai now is uh, the which is the stock market for China. Um, its index has really, I think, it's off over ten percent from its peak. There's real concern over equities in China. Now, yes. If if it could have that effect in one day in the U.S. markets, because that was really what was driving it, what do right. you think happens if Shanghai drops another ten percent? Right, that's true. Yeah. What happens? What happened? Why do why pay attention to China? Well, what happens? That China was making a major move in commodities. They've gotten right. they've gotten burnt on that in a sense from a short term trade, but China's not into this for a short term trade. One of the reasons I wanted to point out that a thousand years ago China was the center of the world's uh, economy is that it has shifted all the way over to us in Europe, and now it's shifting back. It's moving back. Why is it moving back? Because China <clears throat> is becoming an advanced economy. Right. As that moves moves that direction, it's going to impact our interest rate. So let me add this one more thing, Dave. And this is will answer very directly why they should be concerned about this. U.S. bonds influence U.S. mortgages. I think everyone would say right. that if U.S. Everyone treasuries tra- drop yep. in yield, generally speaking, not direct correlation, but generally speaking, U.S. mortgage rates will go lower. And vice right. versa, if treasuries mm-hmm. go higher, generally speaking, um, right. U.S. interest rates will go higher. Well, remember, U.S. treasuries are not U.S. treasuries. It is the global vehicle for investing in, secure, in stable, secure uh, instruments, a debt instrument. That is what it's out there. Just that like is the fl- what you're saying, the flight to quality. So when there's a flight to quality, there's a flight. What we really should say, there's a flight to treasury. There's a flight to treasury. So and when mortgage we really, uh, and mortgage and a certain amount will flow into mortgages. Yeah. Remember, yeah. technically, it's not most of these things are not flight to quality, quote unquote, even though we use that term. But it's really flight to liquidity. What's the most? What are the most liquid items on earth? The most liquid items on earth, earth is the euro dollars various swaps, and U.S. treasuries. Those things are liquid. Uh, One of the reasons we're concerned about the illiquidity in treasuries, not that you can't do trades. Anybody on this broadcast can do a trade. Um, Unless maybe uh, Paul McCurley from uh, PIMCO is listening, then maybe he would not be able to execute all (laughs) trades at all times. But uh, there's, you know, for the most part, you can get a trade done. 
But there are instances where large blocks are trying to be accomplished and they're not being able to get quite what you see on a screen is not what you can hit. Same thing happens, by the way, in mortgages. If you do a TBA, it's one thing. But ask, uh, we could ask Joe Farr, what happens when you're talking about a specific QCIP? It's, it is a much wider bid-ask spread than people right. realize. We right. have some liquidity issues in bonds. But the, my point is this. Treasuries are a global instrument, and therefore global activities will cause there to be certain activities in treasuries based on liquidity or, as you said earlier, on quality or just that they have to position their balance sheet so there can be balance sheet reposition. That's why. Right. Yep, yep. That is so um, – gosh, how, where does the time go? we got five minutes left for this broadcast. I want to – Joe, do you want to jump in with any questions specifically? Otherwise, I want to get a summary, get to the summary that you have and kind of bring this back to where you're – how do you continue to position mortgage rates? Are we going to end up at the 5% by year end? I mean, but, Joe, before we go there, any other thing you want to interject? Uh, just – just to add in there, there's a lot of money leaving a lot of countries coming to the United States. We're seeing that, yeah. especially as it relates to real estate. And so to the extent that, that there are troubles overseas, it has a, a very uh, direct effect on things like real estate values here, supply and demand. And uh, you know, and, and so it pays to, to, to pay attention. It, it pays to be the safest economy. Uh, in that regard, because uh, as, as I said, there's a lot of money leaving other other countries coming here. Absolutely, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm fairly positive on the U.S. real estate market. Uh, I we still can have some hiccups here, and it certainly could be uh, it is location, location, location. Uh, but there is a global interest in some of our assets because, relatively speaking, an awful lot of our real estate is very cheap still compared to a number of other areas across the world. But there's going to be significant real estate problems in China, not trivial. Yes. And yeah. uh, that will definitely drive our values here and even our possible uh, lower interest rate. I am still pretty op- – I've had to modify it some because of this Greek situation, because of the Fed, um, and because of the ECB's uh, QE policy. But generally speaking, I still think we have one more significant drop in rates before the end of the year. And I think that we could see a a drop in rates. Um, It's going to, and it could very likely be brought about by the Fed's next action. When the Fed actually takes some form of tightening action, if we're still in the type of environment that we're currently in, which is this mush, you know, just murkiness, it's just we're not doing much of anything. We are in that, and they tighten in that realm. I think the consequences could be uh, devastating to some emerging countries, and it will cause a shock in the system. And that's why one of the reasons the the Fed keeps hesitating because they know there's right. going to be consequences, and that's probably not going to be the consequences that most people think. Most people think, oh, yeah. that means interest rates are going to rise and long-term rates are going to go up. Uh, contraire, monsieur. Very interesting French lingo there. Contraire, monsieur. Very good. You're so suave and debonair with all your commentary. I, I mean, it's really good and interesting. It's, it's fascinating to think about that. Someone says, okay, you got to bring him back for a third time because i got to understand that. Why would the Fed's raising actually could cause interest rates for the mortgage banks to go down? That is a – yeah, we got to leave it. Let, but, me, let me answer that. I could answer it very quickly. Yeah. It's really a matter of that the – we're tight, they would be tightening in the midst of a, uh, of a not overly stable economy. The economy in the U.S. Is, is slowly getting some strength. It's not as much how the U.S. is, even though I still think we're stuck below 3% GDP over the next couple of years. It's more about how the messages it sends in other parts of the world. And the U.S., if it's going to have its economy get above 3%, which I think is very unlikely, it's got to have emerging nations be buying our products. We need to be able to have our good, strong export business. I do not see that happening with the Fed tightening. The Fed tightening makes the dollar even stronger. I think the dollar yep. will should get stronger. 
which will cause yep. then these other emerging nations to suffer. And as they <laughs> suffer, then it causes a flight to quality or flight to liquidity, which drives our rates down, and there'll be further repricing of assets. That's so one person wrote last David, in this one last question, what are the rates going to put to, when you say a significant drop, are we going to see three and a half again? Are we going to see, you know, down in the threes, below four? Um, if we, yeah, I'd say we could get back down into the threes, sure. And if we're on the, talking mortgage rates, if, if, yes. uh, if mortgage if rates, I'm talking about mortgage would have, if Greece would have exited, I think then we would have harder time getting a lot lower rates, though maybe, um, because I actually think that would bring some longer-term health, and we might actually see some more positive things happening, but that's not going to happen, it appears. Not this year, at least. Wait till Greece is back at the trough next year. Wait, wait. Yeah, we'll see what's going on. Man, it's so good to have you on, Les. There's so much information here. And appreciate you being here as well. We appreciate all of our listeners to be tuning in. So many great questions coming in. And one writes, let them talk. Don't ask any questions. The other one says, but, but, but what about this question? So you obviously bring in a lot of uh, – you're striking the gray matter of a lot of people out there. So it's good to have you here, Les. Appreciate you. We will have you back regularly, more frequently. Next week, folks, we've got Mitch Kiner joining us. He's been uh, – he's reserved this date. We talked to him about earlier a while back. He said because he's got a settlement, a big lawsuit he's going to work on, and he thinks he can be talking about it next week. So be sure to tune in next week. Les Parker, thank you so much. Joe Farr, thank you for being here for me again, as always. Sure. And listeners, thank you for tuning in and being a part of all that we do. Have a great week, everybody, and look forward to seeing you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 